Oh! Boy, howdy. Mm. If that sounded only like two cans popping, that's because it was. We are We're down a member. Yeah. Oop, Load. I just poured on my table. Load management <laughs> for Adolfo. I made up for Adolfo spilling it. And Nick still. is still billing, billing. Nick is still spilling beer. So yeah, we are we are two of three today. The foreigner couldn't be with us, but you know what? The show must go on. Yep. The show must go on. He's out eating lunch with family members, so we'll let that pass, I suppose. Uh, yeah, except it's 10 a.m. <laughs> Brunch, I guess. So we'll see what happens. Um. And yes, we are drinking a beer at 10 a.m. Yeah, but there's also coffee and water. Don't judge us. We're healthy. Uh, Nick made me drink a sour at yep. 10 a.m., my first drink of the day, which is not great. <laughs> it's good for you. A so little bit see of what diversity in your liquid lunch. Uh, I believe diversity was an old, old wooden ship. <laughs> Precisely. From the Civil War era. Yes. Uh, so this one is a brewery that we haven't featured yet. Uh, Surprisingly enough. Yeah, I actually am a little shocked by it. Uh, I was actually saying that in the chat last week that I'm kind of surprised uh, that we haven't featured them. And it is Locality Brewing. Uh, surprised because we like their beers and also surprised because and we, we like have them. a huge soft spot for them. Like Andrew, Mel, Karen, all fantastic people. Yes. Cool concept. So... A little surprised when I was looking through the list of breweries that we featured and locality did not pop up, hmm. especially because we are incessant with how much we like our, their Saison. So oh, God. it's the best Saison out there. Uh, but yeah, so this one is the <laughs> rendition of Haywire, which is their, I think is pretty cool. They, they've just named a beer and it's like their fruited kettle sour and it's kind of rotating fruits. So it changes up all the time. It's not always the same thing. Um, I also will say I do love their can and the like description here mm -hmm. it says beer name haywire strawberry blueberry sour uh, for internal records field to glass planting harvesting malting brewing drinking we believe in showcasing the locality of ingredients the regionality of beer and the farmer's role in making great beer this is a 100% British Columbia farm beer cheers to all local farmers yes and for those who don't know anything about locality which if you don't know anything about locality at this point, you're doing it wrong. Uh, they grow, they have an entire barley field uh, that they sow in malt uh, on site, which uh, if I'm not correct, I believe they're like one of two craft maltsters or maybe the only technical like small craft maltster in British Columbia. Andy, if you're listening, feel free to correct me there because you obviously know way more about that than I do. Uh, and then from there, they grow hops as well. They put a couple acres in recently that is off the main plot that you see when you go to their uh, tasting room and picnic area. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that at some point they were planning on doing the wild yeast capture and trying to get some yeast off of the farm somewhere to do some mixed fermentation stuff. I know that was kind of a brainchild of Andy. Uh, and I'm fairly certain they get all of their uh fruits as well from local vendors 
at the very least, I'm sure they probably get it from Pacific Coast, which is based out of Abbotsford, so still mm-hmm. very, very local. So, yeah, farm-based brewery. It's cool to see something like that uh, create such good beer so consistently because usually when you say farm-based brewery, it's pretty eclectic. Right. Mixed fermentation kind of stuff, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But I have yet to have a beer that Karen Cheshire has produced that I have not loved. She makes some fantastic stuff. Very, very, very good. I actually had a beer of theirs last night to plug them even further past this beer. They had their Patio Pilsner, which I'm not sure if you've had yet or not. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, It is a beer that they did with Beatniks, uh, which is in downtown Fort Langley. It is a... I would categorize it as somewhere along the lines of like a German pills. Hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily what they were going for, but it's got like a nice like uh, floral herbaceous bitterness in the finish, but it's super clean, super easy drinking. And it is a Pilsner with spruce tips and stinging nettle. Oh, maybe I have had that one. Yeah. I remember the nettle. Yeah. So Andy was telling me about spruce. it at the, their uh, Métis event that they hosted last week. Uh, as of recording this, and they sourced all the nettle from the farm. They got a bunch of spruce tips, and he was telling me like the disproportionate amounts of spruce tips to nettle. He's like, we threw like a metric hmm. fuck ton of <laughs> spruce tips into this beer, and you can like somewhat get them. They're not super prominent, and hmm. then the nettle. He's like, we threw in like almost nothing, and it comes through. So pretty funny how that works. Cool. So, yeah, locality. Go visit it. Go visit them, especially during the summertime when it's nice out. Uh, if you go during the evening, bring some bug spray, though, because that Fort Langley uh, area around Thunderbird is notorious for having mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Little skis. Um, it's a good start for a sour. If you've listened to the show, you know that I despise sours. I'm basically forcing him to branch out. Yeah. I was going to force Adolfo to branch out as well, but lo and behold, he's not here. But automatically, it's not too sour, which yeah. I already appreciate because yeah. I don't. That's the main thing I don't like about sours. Well, that's the, just like when you're like yeah. sucking on a warhead. Yeah, like the the side of your jaw cramps up. You start salivating. It's almost like it punches you in the mouth. Uh, but that is mm-hmm. something I notice about a lot of uh, Karen and Locality's beers is that while they may like present the flavors that they say they're going to give you, uh, it's not super in your face. It's more balanced, more approachable. Mm-hmm. It hits a wider base of drinkers rather than just like one group of people that want to get absolutely smacked in the face with right. a sour fruited beer. So, which I appreciate because it's not easy to strike that kind of balance and still get a lot of fruit flavor in color. Yeah. So, all right, shall we move on? Good start. Yeah. Do you want to just get into the Canadian Beer Awards? Yep. You get the. There's list a lot up. of BC breweries. You get the list up. So if you want to uh, run through it, feel free. Okay. It's kind of hard to do um, on, a, on a phone. I will say their mobile website is not fantastic. Yeah. Do you want to mention every single BC brewery that won an award or just uh, the, the, the major players? I guess we could talk about some of the breweries that we've tried on this podcast. I noticed that A-Frame got an award. Yep. Um, I'm just going in like alphabetical order or, or like – the order that's on the website, starting from... So I guess Whistle Buoy. Yep, Whistle Buoy, small. Whistle Buoy. Victoria. Won a silver for their Garden City Fieldberry. Can't say I've ever had it. 
Um, Fieldhouse. Yep, we've had them on the podcast. Yep, one Bell Whiten. Bronze for their bourbon barrel-aged imperial stuff with raspberries. I had that at Christmas, and it was delish. Yes. Barnside won silver for their Batch 200 Estate Barley Wine. Uh, shout out to Justin. He makes some fantastic stuff. He's doing some really cool stuff there as well. So tying that in, it's another farm-based brewery. They don't malt their stuff, though. Mm. They do send their malt to locality. Interesting. Cool. So. Uh, A-Frame, as you mentioned, yep. won silver for their Cup Lake Lemon Earl Grey Sour. That sounds... I thought that said cupcake at first, and I was yeah, like, that so did I. sounds interesting. I feel like they name all of their stuff off of, off of like regional lakes and stuff like they that. They are, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, sorry, it was a Lemon Earl Grey Sour? Yeah. Hmm, sounds interesting. Uh, La Cerveceria Astilleros. I know how to say that now because I was just in Mexico. Okay. He's come back from Mexico and he speaks Spanish. Correct. Fluently. Better than Adolfo. Yes. Um, in the category of herb and spice beer, they won gold for their El Valle Salado Salted Lime Walker. Uh, I've had this beer and it is absolutely freaking fantastic. I, we need to go back. This actually might be one of the best like salted lime lagers I've ever had. And as someone that makes tacos for a living, they have some phenomenal tacos. Yeah, we went there, what was it, about a year ago when we did the yeah. whole North Fan strip there? and Too long ago. That was that was the, aside from Shaketown, that was the other clear winner. The like, best beer we had that day, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, Twin City Brewing won bronze for Bottle Cap Cherry Cola Sour. Twin City is just like continuously racking up awards every single year yeah, in every competition. And it usually is all sours, so they must be doing something real right They're there. on this list at least three more times yeah, that I Yeah, I think I they won see. three or four medals. Which is great for them. We need yeah. to go there too. Or we need to feature one of their beers, apparently. Hard, uh, hard to find in the lower mainland, but yeah, I'm sure at some point we'll have to yeah. toss uh, Four Winds Brewing Co. Bronze for La Maison. Session ale. And session ale, eh? Mm-hmm. I guess it is like 4.5% or something like that. So. Yeah. Uh, Small Gods Brewing won gold for their Promised Land session ale. Well, they actually won two awards as well. I don't remember the other one, but I think it was a lugger or a pilsner mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, we mentioned them in the podcast, but I don't think we've had them yet. But Gray Fox Brewing, brand new out of Kelowna, won gold for their Gray Fox Quick Witted. Gluten-free beer. Gluten-free beer. So good for them. Shout out to them. Yeah, congrats. Uh, Il Sauvage Brewing uh, won bronze for their Raspberry Sour. Uh, Boardwalk Brewing won silver for their Cotton Candy. I believe it's a Belgian triple. Interesting. Under the category of honey, maple, or alternative sugar lager or ale. I'm guessing the alternative sugar was cotton candy. I think they used candy. cotton candy in a Belgian triple. Because Belgian styles typically <coughs> use like, quote unquote, alternative sugar sources in the terms of Belgian candy sugar. Interesting. Apparently they sub that out for cotton candy. Uh, Twin City, once again, bronze for a, their unicycle sour IPA with El Dorado. Yep. Sounds delicious. Another I would sour. try that. Uh, electric Bicycle, silver for their Atomic Jam sour ale. Powell Street, party time, 10th anniversary, double IPA, gold. gold. Oh, that's impressive. 
Good for them. Yeah. Uh, Four Winds Brewing Co. won bronze for their beer called Greg. <laughs> uh, that beer is actually a cool hilarious. story behind that. The the name Greg is, I think it was one of their parents or one of their, their founders. And he passed away, so they named a, a beer after him and made it like the style that was like his style. So it was kind of like when we had Capitan huh. from Lighthouse. Same concept. But it was a West Coast IPA. I've had that beer, and it is absolutely freaking delicious. That's hilarious. I love that. Not hilarious, but I love that. Yes. Uh, Parallel 49 won for a beer that everyone has ever, everyone has had, I yep. would say. Jerk Face. Jerk Face 9000. Not the one that they had to rename because it was a slur against a group of people. Mm. Yep. So they won a silver for that. So there you go. Uh, Four Winds Brewing Co. again. Silver for their Four Winds Pale Ale. It's great pale ale. Bomber Brewing, Georgie's Best Dry Hopped ESB Gold Medal. Oh, baby. Okay. Steamworks, bronze for their Lionsgate Light. In the category of light, calorie reduced lager. Oh, that's a brewery I haven't seen on a award list in a while, primarily because I don't think they've been entering things, is Mount Begbie. Mm-hmm. They used to be super prominent... Uh, down here when I first moved to Canada in terms of distribution and they've much like we said on the podcast before and much like almost every brewery post COVID they reeled back their distribution quite heavily and I haven't seen their stuff in quite some time. They make a fantastic cream meal. Mm. I think I've had that one. Yeah. Most people have had Mount Bigby's cream meal and it's won multiple awards. Yeah. But they won a silver for Revstoke Lager. Yep. So there's that. Uh, moving right along, uh, Dead Frog <laughs> won silver for their Commander 2019 Reserve Imperial Stout. Yeah, I didn't know Dead Frog made stouts. Yeah, their Commander is the one that they made since day one. That's oh, really? Actually, that's actually, in my opinion, probably their best beer. Granted, you can't really drink a ton of Imperial Stout, but that one is pretty consistently a very good Imperial Stout. Hmm. Never even had it. I should try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoyn Brewing Company won gold for their Finnegan's Irish Stout. Had that one before. Also fantastic. Uh, do you want any of these? Maybe this one? This one? This one? Uh, let's maybe move uh, to that one. Because I do want to talk on, on not Mount Bagby, the bottom one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Locality. There you go. Yeah. We've, we've heard of them. Yep. They got an honorable mention. They got an honorable mention for their Owl Train Vanilla Porter. Yes, which... I've had that one. It's very good. They should have won an award for, in my opinion. Mm. Honorable mention is a nice way of saying this was very close to getting a bronze. A little confused why it didn't get a medal. I don't know. I want to know who won bronze because gold and silver both went to BC breweries. It looks like you have it sorted by... Province, I do. Oh, okay, but that this is sense. the same cat, all the same category. Yeah, so someone's got bronze there then. That's no, not outside of BC. I think yeah, that is. So abandoned rail won gold. You you kill it. You you seal it. You you clay it. You clay it. You Let's go with that one. Clue it. We pronounce things very well here. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, that company for butchering your name, but you won silver. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> In case you haven't found out. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Twin City, once again, their Obscura Burliner style vice with plum. Hmm. One silver. That sounds interesting. Parallel 49, one gold for their Brett Saison. Daggerad. One, one for a Belgian style beer. That's Imagine weird. Imagine that. Who would have guessed? Bernabarian, one silver. Uh, 33 acres of Euphoria, Belgian style triple gold medal from 33 acres. Twin City, once again, Nocturne Belgian style quadruple, one bronze. Uh, which one did you just point out? Uh, Monkey Nine. Monkey Nine. Yeah, so they won gold in, what is it, Kolsch style? Yeah. Kolsch style Kolsch for their Cosmic Kolsch. Uh, that recipe was, if I'm not incorrect, one of the first recipes that uh, a gentleman named Jules uh, brewed while he was the head brewer there, and he is now the head brewer at Four Winds. Oh. Yeah, so he's at Monkey Nine for about a year, year and a half. Interesting. So congrats on that job, Jules. Monkey Nine in Richmond, B.C. Uh, Moon Underwater, we've had their beer here. We have. We had the California IPA. Yep. They won a silver for their Potts Pills. Uh, local friends of ours, Camp Beer Company, won gold medal for their Lager Kohler Vienna Lager. If I'm not incorrect, this beer was originally brewed as a collab. Interesting. I think it was a collab with Four Winds, actually. Collab. Congratulations, Dave, though. Yes. Good job, Dave. Uh, let's see. A-frame again. Gold medal for their Arctic Lake Czech Dark Lager. Um, I feel like we've had that one. That's the one I brought back for us when I was there. Is that the one we had on... I, th- I thought yep, so. That was the one we had on the podcast. Um, and I brought that back because... I tried like almost all of their beers that night when I was there, and this was easily the best one. So what you're saying is your taste is gold medal worthy. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Only. Uh, Small Gods Silver. This is the last one. Small Gods Silver for their never-ending Pilsner. That's all out of... Yeah. We're focusing entirely on BC. BC, of course. I wanted yeah. to check really quick because I saw that there was another company from Alberta that we've had before that won a, an award, Cabin. We've had Cabin here, and we've had 88. Oh, man. Have we had Cabin? Remember, remember when I brought 88 from Alberta and you said, why didn't you bring us hammer pants? Yeah, and lo, no. lo and behold, it wins a gold medal for <laughs> North American style pail. I mean, I'm not going to give myself any credit. I just saw the name <clears throat> and love the name. So It's a great, it's a great name. I've had a lot of these breweries beer before, just not on establishment. Here. We've had them here. They won a bronze and a silver. Establishment wins a lot of awards. I've heard. They, I'm fairly certain they got Brewery of the Year in 2022. They sure did. Why do I remember this stuff? Who knows? So yeah, congratulations to all of the BC. Well, to everyone, but like especially to the the local BCers that we mentioned that. All won awards, the Canadian Beer Awards. Your beer is good. And just for everyone's reference, Brewery of the Year this year, since I mentioned it, went to Muddy York Brewing Company out of Toronto. What a weird name. Heard of them, never had any other stuff. Muddy? Muddy York. M-U-D-D-Y space York. Muddy York Brewing Co. Out of Toronto. Interesting. They have a weird little hat as their logo. Weird little hat. Look. Huh. Little, uh, what are those hats called? Boulder hats? Yeah. Sure. 
Um, do they only have... Also, for your reference, uh, the bronze medal winner in Porter was a beer by the name of Black Door from Hampton Brewing Company in New Brunswick. Hmm. They have a Haber, Haberdasher Hefeweizen. A Gaslight Hell's Lager. They're, oh, I've seen this can around. Yeah, so they... The Unamas Mexican two, Lager. They got mm, two golds. Interesting. They got one for a smoked beer and their Jailfire Rauk beer. Hmm. Have uh, you ever heard that name before for a Mexican Lager, Unamas? Uh, once or twice. <laughs> and then their Haberdasher Hefeweizen one golden wheat beer, German style. Huh. So Two golds apparently gets you brewer of the year. Chili bin... Chili bin. Chili bin. New Zealand the Pilsner. old chili bin, eh? Twin Whiskers Double IPA. That's a great name and a great can. Triumph Pilsner My Light Premium. Muddy York Porter. They have a Hoppy Holidays candle. I like hop candles. Yes. We've talked about that. People we, like candles. Like. Look, they have a toque with a bowler hat on it. They should have just made a bowler hat. With a toque on it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there you go. Brewery of the year. Two exception. Muddy York. Um, do you have any more beer news? I have one piece have of beer news. a million sports newses. Sports newses galore. Uh, the only other thing I had was Constellation Brands. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm going to just confirm this before I say it out loud because <clears throat> I feel like I might say it wrong. <laughs> Constellation Brands. We say everything right, though, here. Yes, we've never said a single thing that's wrong. Uh, so Constellation Brands, uh, for everyone's reference, is the uh, portfolio has the portfolio that includes Modelo and uh, Corona, Pacifico, Casa Noble, Tequila, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, they led the charge in, like, I'd say, like, 2010 range, roughly, where they were buying up a bunch of craft brands in the States uh weren't making it public knowledge outside of like their like little press press releases that they weren't really releasing uh because they were trying to essentially sneak in and take back shares of the beer market in north america uh they are they've announced last week as of this recording that uh they are getting out of the craft sector and they are selling uh, all the breweries that they purchased back to their owners and or liquidating and selling off equipment. Hmm. So they, they had one in their portfolio called Funky Buddha. Uh, I've never had any of their stuff. I've heard that it's quite good. Funky Buddha. Uh, they have just sold it back to their uh, founders. Uh, and if you want to hear more about this kind of stuff, just from people that are actually in the know and that break these kind of stories, go to the Brewbound podcast. And there's one called Funky Voodoo's Ryan Sense on buying back the Florida Craft Brewery. Uh, and they basically just say, like, the hmm. Constellation never really gave these breweries the attention they needed. They gave them a little, like, you know, the cash flow to get, like, new equipment and stuff right. like that, which is vital, but. It was never their priority, right? Medella was always, and Corona were always going to be the priority, as right. it should for a brand like that. Uh, so they, they've announced they're getting out of the craft game, selling all that back. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. Pretty cool because a lot of people would talk about this. This has been a talking point in the craft industry, like getting bought out, selling out, that kind of stuff for 
probably the last 10 to 15 years. Yep. So it, uh, it'll be interesting to see if it shows a different move in the industry in North America, especially in the States, because it hasn't happened as much in Canada. Right. Here, and, here and there periodically with things like Stanley Park, Granville Island, breweries like that, but not as common. Hmm. Uh, last thing, this is very quick. I just don't want to beat this already dead horse that we've talked about twice, at least twice on the podcast. Uh, Brewbound released a survey. Uh, beer distributors in the States believe that Bud Light has suffered permanent damage. 65% of distributors surveyed expect the Bud Light downturn to last at least another six months, while 32% of them think it's permanent. Hmm. So a lot of people think, at least one-third of beer distributors in the States think that Bud Light is basically dead. Interesting. I mean, when you alienate both sides of the aisle, that's actually, just for Bud Light's reference, like, that's a bad idea. Yep. Pick your lane, stay in it. Pick your lane. <coughs> I can't say I feel bad for oh. them. No. Because I do. Exactly. Hey, all good for beer. Um. Okay. I don't even know where to start. There's some pretty major uh, sports <coughs> stories. Uh, I would say two of them arguably are um some of the biggest sports stories of our lifetime. To be honest. So maybe let's start here, and then we'll let's, move on to. Yeah. We'll start here. Move on to Messi, because um, we will talk Messi. Uh, speaking of Messi, the PGA Tour um, and the Live Golf uh, have now decided to join forces, which um, this is pretty – I don't <laughs> – As someone who doesn't watch golf, this I don't goes, understand why this is happening. Because they were trying to act like they were like mortal enemies. Yeah, which they were. So like essentially, for anyone that doesn't know, essentially a while ago, Live Golf was created because the PGA um, was like losing numbers. They basically lose numbers if Tiger doesn't play. So any tournament that Tiger was is not in, they're losing lots of numbers, losing revenue, losing viewership. And... The cause of that was that, like the the purses and the the winnings were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and so <clears throat> Live Golf, which is backed by a Saudi Arabian government, <laughs> um, came out and was like, "Hey, we're gonna start a league that is in direct rival to the PGA, and because we're Saudi Arabian, we're gonna offer you stupid amounts of money." Like, fuck off, money. Just what they're doing in uh, <clears throat> soccer as well right now. Yeah. Um, they offered T Tiger Woods $800 million just to come play for Live Golf, which he obviously turned down. But they offered a bunch of money. imagine turning down $800 million? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine turning down $8. Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they offered all, all these golfers... A crazy amount of money. Basically, they were like, you can play in whatever tournament you want to play in. They play, their calendar was like less dates than the PGA, so like more time for family. Basically, like it'd be hard to turn it down. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they got some big names. Brooks Kepka, 
um, Bryson DeChambeau, like some of the bigger names in golf right now. Um, but <clears throat> they PGA essentially used Rory McIlroy as their like whipping boy. Um, and kind of ambassador to PGA because he stayed behind and um, <clears throat> didn't accept all this money in hopes that uh, PGA was going to change some things and figure out a way to like up the winnings and, and stuff like that for, for golf. So essentially the PGA told <clears throat> Live Golf, or sorry, the PGA told their golfers that stayed away like, don't accept the Saudi Arabian money, dirty money, whatever. We're going to work to fix um, the PGA. And fast forward about almost a year, and the PGA's uh, solution to fixing their money problems was to team up with very... <laughs> the very company they're saying has dirty money. Yes, team up with them because they essentially were realizing i mean this is this is my speculation from it and other people's speculation nothing like concrete has come out but like essentially i think the pga was realizing hey our numbers are super down like we're not gonna be able to get out of this so instead of live golf there was apparently a, a rumor going around that live golf was literally gonna buy out the pga and instead of the pga being like uh were they like publicly traded or something like that and I don't know about that, <clears throat> but like they are an entity that you can buy. Oh, okay. Just like if someone had like, if someone had enough money to buy the NHL, you could technically. Yeah, I think you just have to get like voted in. I don't know how golf works because yeah. it's not franchises. So, but their solution instead of like essentially like folding the PGA or losing a bunch of players was let's team up with that very same company that clearly has the money. They have money, and that's damn sure. Now, I don't want to say everything's back to normal because it sure as hell isn't. But like now, all of the golfers are back. Are back together. Um, and of course, so the big thing that's happening now is all of the players that stayed behind and stayed with the PGA that didn't accept these outrageous contracts of hundreds and hundreds of million dollars now got the shit end of the stick because they're now combined forces, but they're the former PGA salaries don't change. Like, so these people that went to live are keeping their contracts. Yeah. People that didn't are also keeping their contracts. Correct. Oof. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting one. <clears throat> yeah. So there was a, there was a <clears throat> lot of golfers that came out on Twitter and like, obviously we're bashing this decision and apparently the the PGA golfers and the live golfers and the um, I don't know what you call them the Gary Bettman of the PGA <laughs> commissioner I don't commissioner know. I don't know yeah the proper title um, got all got together had a meeting all of the PGA um, players including Tiger Woods were like very outspoken about how poor this decision was and how like they were like, you screwed us out of a bunch of money and are like, they called for the resignation of this commissioner and as they should everyone. Yeah. Like it's just, it's like, this is messy. It's messy. terrible. It's terrible. Um, <clears throat> the good th thing that came out of this 
for our benefit is if anyone has watched Full Swing on Netflix, it is the F1 version for golf. So like super insider. Um, it's actually very, very interesting. And one tweet came out from one of the filmmakers after all this came out and he said, yes, we were filming when all this news broke. And so <laughs> season two of Full Swing is going it. to be very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say. I'm not like, we don't really follow golf a ton. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that like, I'll watch Tiger Woods and the masters. And that's about as far as my yeah. golf goes. Um, I watched the masters this year entirely <coughs> because we were in that pool where we picked players. Mm, and that's yeah. the only reason I watched it. Yeah. Which I will say I won. I don't even remember what happened. Yeah. I remember that the person that I picked to win got injured and played three holes. Yep. Uh, so anyway, um, this is a super shitty situation and, uh, the PGA really effed up and a lot of people are upset. Correct. Yeah. But a story that's going to be ongoing. Yeah. This is, this is not the end, but I think it's We're just, close I think it. it's like one of the, like, the major sports stories <laughs> in our entire lifetime because now we have like a exactly what the states don't like we have a foreign government now that is a government owned sports directly entity. involved in the yeah sports yeah. entity in the united yeah. states which so. <laughs> using that as a segue uh government owned sports entities uh seems to be happening a lot in the english premier league mm. uh manchester united is currently getting bids from a uh qatari sheik and another club that's been owned by one, uh, Sheikh Mansour, I believe his name is, since 2010 is Manchester City. And as of yesterday, uh, during this recording, so Saturday, June 10th, Manchester City just won what is called the treble. And for those that don't watch or pay attention to European soccer, football, uh, they won a domestic cup. They won the... UEFA Champions League, and then they won the uh, Premier League. So they completed a treble, which is the first time an English club has done it since Manchester United did it. Uh, I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but it's been a while. It's been over, well well over a decade and a half. Hmm. Uh, but to tie into the basically government ran, they've been owned by Sheikh Mansour. Prior to the takeover of Sheikh Mansour, Manchester City was a perennial mid-table team that had been relegated to the second division of English football as recently as 2007. Hmm. So they were like very much little brother in terms of the Manchester United-Manchester City rivalry. Like it wasn't even really, it was as good a rivalry as the Blue Jackets and the Penguins. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and lo and behold, this fuck off money from Saudi Arabia comes in, uh, purchases the club, they break every single financial uh, regulation and restriction that you possibly can in European football and in English domestic football, and somehow they faced almost no sanctions. Huh. They had one player slot removed from a Champions League squad last year, and now they're just winning trophies, and they're just allowed to break all these financial regula regulations and restrictions and continue to win, and... 
it's a bit interesting because a lot of people are saying there's going to be an asterisk on this trouble. It's going to be an asterisk on everything they've won since they've been taken over because all they do is spend more money than they're supposed to or allowed to. Hmm. And it leads leads me to believe that, yeah, I mean, obviously this is not breaking news or anything that anyone doesn't already know, but football is got to be the most corrupt sport on earth. Yes. Like, it's wild. Defies all logic yep. that you can, can you can break every financial restriction and regulation. That would be like a team in the NHL, NBA, MLB, whatever you want to say. Maybe not MLB, but uh, going over the salary cap and just saying, ah, oh, we're going to do it anyways. Yeah. Every every single year. There's a team in the Stanley Cup final doing that exact thing. Yeah. So <clears throat> people have issues with someone going on LTIR and then returning to the playoffs. Take that and amplify it by like a hundred and then do it every single year. Yeah. Um, that's what Manchester city is apparently, or is essentially doing. And, uh, I'm sure not a lot of Manchester United fans listen, but for those who are unaware, I am a huge Manchester United fan. I'm going to call out other fans. But for those of you who have spent the better part of the last decade plus calling out Manchester city for being corrupt or all the stuff they're winning is, is bullshit. And now wanting to be owned by this Qatari sheik, you're a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Straight up. So, because yep. United might be in a similar situation. Newcastle United as well was another one. Because mm. they were another middling club that was struggling to find <clears throat> their footing. And they finished fourth in the league this year because they got bought out. And all of that oil money can wow. buy a lot of footballers. Well, it can buy Ronaldo. Yep. But it can't buy Lionel Messi. Uh, yeah, that's because he has some values and morals. <clears throat> yeah, he did say it was if it was about money, he would have ended up in Saudi Arabia, but he did not. Yeah, so he turned down. Uh, <laughs> I had to like blink eight times when I saw the number. <clears throat> it's insanity. One point six billion dollars. Yep. Over three years. Yep. Which, if you can math. That's about a lot. $533 million a year. Which is more than the Arizona Coyotes are worth. Yes. <laughs> per year. And he chose to go to the MLS instead. He chose to team up with... Should They, they should make a shirt that says, Bend it like Messi. Yeah. I mean, they've got the copyright. They've got the copyright. Um, so he's teaming up with David Beckham and going to Inter-Miami FC in the MLS. So I was talking about this last night to my wife, and I saw an infographic my come wife. up uh, about Lionel Messi. He's still playing in uh, Paris in Ligue 1, which is one of the top, probably the fourth or fifth best top flight league, arguably fourth uh, in Europe, which means it's light, this, light years better than the MLS. This is PSG? Uh, Pre-Saint-Germain, yeah. They mm-hmm. play in Ligue 1. Uh, and he, this year, in 41 games across all competitions, against the best competition in Europe, has contributed 41 goals. So basically, he's a goal-per-game player, and this is like one of the worst years he's ever had. He's still a goal-per-game player in one of Europe's best leagues, and now he's going to be in the MLS. I won't say exactly what I said about what he's going to do to the MLS, but he's going to absolutely destroy it. Like You think so? He will be, bar none, the best player this league has ever seen. Well, he's the best 
In my well, opinion, he's the best age. soccer player ever. Uh, yeah, I agree. Footballer. There's some people that would argue he's the best male athlete of all time. Yeah, that's an Based interesting. Off of accomplishments. That's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting debate. Yes, he's in the top five. Oh, easily. I don't know. He's surpassed Ronaldo at this point. There's no competition between him and Ronaldo in, okay, in so soccer. I mean, do they base it off of accomplishments? It would have like, to again, be. What's the it would criteria? have to be like Gretzky, Messi, and Jordan and Brady would be my top four and, all time. And some people would put Federer in there. Yeah, and th- this is me, like personal bias, like not including golfers, not including tennis players, just sports that I don't watch. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of arguments you can make for a lot of people. Michael Phelps could yeah. arguably be in there. Yeah. I just, he sustained this level of performance for the better part of two decades now. And he's went to every league and he's won trophies. He's the high, one of the highest goal scorers in European football history, if not the highest at this point now. Champions League basically was was Barcelona. Like Since he left and Barcelona, now, Barcelona has been in shambles. And now he's got his World Cup too. Yeah. So he is, he is and I agree with you, in my opinion, the greatest footballer to ever live. And, and now he's, he's playing in America. To the MLS, where teams that <laughs> I I'm I'm not gonna go into details, but their their defensive lines and uh, back fours, back threes, whatever they're playing in the MLS are. Uh, what's a nice way to put the subpar? They're not good. They are going to get destroyed by Messi. So how long do you think this realistically lasts? Uh, I think. I think this is a good transition for him, both financially and brand-wise, because I think he's going to go here. He's going to he's like he's going to elevate the MLS immediately. Like him going there, basically, like they're, the a, top, they're a top three league in North America. Yeah, now, yeah. in my opinion, I agree. Uh, so, for nuts. reference, as soon as he signed, the tickets for Inter Miami's games are now worth more than NBA Finals games. Uh, which is insanity because they are literally the worst team in the Eastern Conference of the MLS at the moment. Uh, I believe they have five wins all year. Um, yeah, I just he's he's going to change the game in North America by far because the MLS previously got a lot of like European stars that were towards the end of their career. Every once in a while, they'd get someone that was a little bit younger, like Lorenzo Insigne or like uh, Sebastian Giovinco, those kind of guys, but they weren't like mega stars they were just oh they're good and they're coming to play in the mls because they're getting enough money right right whereas messi turned down more money to come here which still to this point like like he said outright if it was about the money i would have went to saudi arabia but it's obviously not about the money Mm -hmm. i think long term for his brand i think this is better because you don't have that asterisk of like oh you just went and took for lack of a better way of putting it blood money uh, not that the United States really has anywhere to stand on that stance, mm-hmm. uh, but we're not a political podcast. Well, sometimes, <laughs> apparently. Sometimes, yeah. Um, but this is going to signal to other European stars that like the MLS isn't just a retirement league anymore. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that he is in his like twilight of his career, it's not a twilight. It's not a retirement league anymore. You can go there. You can make the money that you want to make. And you can get the exposure you want to get, and 
with the deal he's getting, he's essentially going to get revenue from ticket sales. He's going to get revenue from branding. He's going to get revenue from jerseys. And then he has a opportunity to buy into the club in terms of ownership after he retires. So after I was told there was rumors that he was offered a 35% ownership stake right off the hop. I mean, maybe that's the case. I, from what I understood, it was after he finished his playing days. But I would be entirely unsurprised if he became like owner slash player. Mm. It just it, those kinds of situations are always messy to me because it's like pun intended. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you're both a player and a coach slash owner kind of thing. It's just it's a weird dynamic. So, and apparently he was offered some revenue shares. So Apple TV yeah. bought. They, MLS Live or whatever it's called. Yeah, so they like you can now. Um, they signed like a ten-year, multi-billion-dollar deal, um, Apple and the MLS, to stream MLS games exclusively on Apple Plus, and apparently any new subscribers they get, he gets a share of that. Yeah, I don't know the exact percentages off the top of my head, but that's rumored. That hasn't been. Oh, the, the yeah. Apple thing for the MLS Live is is confirmed now. Oh, it is. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So he's getting, while he's not getting the same kind of money that he would get in Saudi Arabia, he's st- still getting a healthy paycheck. Yeah, and, a, and apparently he's getting a cut from Adidas. Yeah. Yeah. Jersey sold. Yeah, he also is. I'm sure they've sold already. Who the hell knows? A lot. And Inter Miami is also their brand has gotten substantially more a substantial amount more traction than it did prior because they went from like I think they had 1.1 million followers prior to him joining and then within 24 hours they were at 5 million. Yeah, and now they're at 7.7. Yeah, and it's going to c- continue to grow. Like it doesn't matter where he is, wherever he plays. And I I don't once again I don't remember the exact numbers, but PSG lost like over a million followers as soon as he did, decided he was leaving. So like these people aren't even like following these clubs that he plays for they're just following him so it's crazy even his followers went up yeah which is like by like six million yeah it's probably a lot of americans that what's also interesting is he hasn't posted once about miami yet yeah he's not wildly active in terms of social media Needless to say, moral of the story he's going to grow the game here a lot i know every time a european star comes here like david beckham Thierry Henry, big names like that come. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to grow the game, which they do. But with all due respect to Beckham and Thierry Henry, you did you don't have the same kind of pull as you let Lionel Messi. Yeah, not even close. So, well, this is, this is the most we've talked about soccer on a podcast ever, I think, other than the World Cup. I mean, it's massive, massive news. Yes. Um, I, I'm a happy boy. I'm going to be one of the every single person in Vancouver that's going to be trying to get tickets next season. Yeah. When and if they come, I guess, if, I guess, if he Van- plays I guess White Caps aren't, yeah, they're not playing Inter Miami this season. Oh, uh, it's, it's not that it's more the implication that players don't want to play on turf. Mm. Beckham didn't, Thierry Henry didn't want to, Zlatan Ibrahimovic didn't. That's the big thing that Vancouver's had a downside on is that, European players come from playing on well-kept grass and don't want to come and play on turf because turf still has that negative connotation in uh, my hmm. sport in soccer that it results in knee and ankle injuries, which there have been studies that have proven that. So hmm. whether or not he even plays in Vancouver, 
Here's another story. I do. I think he's going to. I think he'll be the first European star to come and actually play on the turf. But I would be unsurprised if he didn't. Well, either way, those tickets are going to be. Those tickets are going to get nabbed up real quick. They're going to be wildly expensive. They're going to go from like twenty dollars Whitecaps tickets to like four or five hundred bucks. Yeah, probably. They'll be a couple hundred bucks. I'd pay that. Uh, I, I wouldn't. No? No. I feel the same way about sports as I do about like concerts. Like, it doesn't matter how much I like you. There's a, a threshold where I'm just, I'm not going to pay $400 to go see an athlete. Like, I once paid $25 to see Connor McDavid. I'm not going to pay $500 to go see Messi. And I say those two athletes because I put them relatively in the same realm of talent. Wow. Yeah. Right. Should we move on to hockey? Uh, how about you briefly touch on NBA Finals so I can use the old banyo? Oh, I gosh. I have to talk by myself oh, as Nick sense. leaves me. Uh, the NBA Finals. Uh, Denver Nuggets are one game away from winning their very first uh, NBA title ever. Um, they pretty much... They've pretty much owned the Heat so far in this series. The Heat, the Heat have looked just overmatched in general. Uh, <clears throat> Jokic and Murray are just taking over, essentially. Um, one of the best duos in the NBA currently. And so that's going to be interesting to, to watch the rest of that. I believe that game five takes place on Monday. That is tomorrow as we record this, Monday, June 12th. So Denver has a chance to win it at home, and they are heavy favorites, which will be interesting. And to stick with uh, a little bit of NBA news, uh, Dolfo and I both are Raptors fans because we are good Canadian boys. And the Raptors have hired their head coach. We have a lot of head coach news on this podcast coming up. But um, the Raptors have hired Darko Radjakovic as their new head coach. I don't know anything about this person. They didn't hire Steve Nash? They didn't hire Steve Nash. They hired Darko Radjakovic. The only Darko I know is Darko Milicic. Well, the only Darko I know is Donnie Darko. Oh, well, neither of them are the coach of the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is not a coach of the Toronto Raptors in a, <laughs> a bunny Jake suit. A Jake Gyllenhaal character, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't look this up enough because there was just so much other news. I know nothing. I know about as much about this uh, head coach of the Raptors as I do about the new Calgary Flames head coach. So we'll just, that's all I have to say about the NBA. Yeah, I, the one thing I will say, and this is not anything like groundbreaking, this is stuff that people have said a million times over and over, but I just find it so funny that uh, Jokic is so dominant because, like, you see photos of him growing up, he's like the chubby kid, he's not like the, like, stereotypical, like, prime athlete, which, like, I love to see, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying yeah. anything negative about this, I'm saying this is a good thing. Uh, and he's so unorthodox in the way he plays. Like I actually watched a few minutes of one of the games. I think it was oh. game two 
which is saying a lot for me because I don't watch basketball at all. And he's just so wildly unorthodox. Like he doesn't look like he should be athletic, but he is. Yeah. And the way he shoots is, <laughs> needless to say, awkward as fuck. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, it's really cool to see like a, a non-stereotypical athlete in basketball like that, where they're not like built like a brick shit house. They're not just like this huge muscular person or LeBron James, who's like a freak athlete built like a brick shit house kind of thing, built yeah. like an NFL tight end kind of person. Yeah. So it's cool to see something like that because it shows that like you don't have to look a certain way to be an elite level athlete, right? Yeah. And the, the Heat have no answer for him. Like... He was, the, I think, second player ever in NBA history to have a 30-20-10 game in the NBA Who finals. would even be guarding him from the Heat? Right now, it's been Jimmy Butler, which... I long. don't get that at all. Well, they don't... Like, it should be Bam Adebayo. Yeah, but he's not a, mobile enough, is he? No one to is. To deal with Jokic. That's the thing, is Jokic isn't even fast. He's just... He's just shifty. And, like, super, super smart. Yeah. It's wild. No. But, yeah, he... They have a chance to win it at home. Tomorrow night. Yeah. And I, I hope they do. I, I want Jamal Murray, Canadian boy, to win a championship. And I just don't really like the Heat and I don't like Jimmy. I mean, Mullen, the Nuggets so. are almost certainly going to win. There's only been one team, for your reference, that has come back from a 3-1 deficit in the finals ever. And that was LeBron James. LeBron James when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Took out the 73-9 and Golden State Warriors. Yep. So With that infamous chase down block. I don't think that's going to happen. In this one. It, there's no way. So. Um, before we move on to hockey, should be yeast? Let's do the yeasties. You're the guest. You go first. <laughs> the guest. <laughs> um, let's see here. I'm trying to think of... Much like if you, if you ever watch uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports and his pizza reviews. I don't. But now I want to. Um, it's great. He I just, love pizza. Yeah, he just reviews pizza, and he does everyone. And he has a he has a he has a scale for certain types of pizza, which maybe I should adopt into beer. So like, there's like the one I'm thinking of in particular. He's like a Neapolitan style, classic Italian style pizza. Yeah. So he scales things differently based off of like if it's a Hawaiian pizza or a meat lovers or no, a, not 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 the. Not like the flavor, like the style of pizza, whether it's like a oh, Sicilian okay. style, Neapolitan, yeah. New York style, that kind of thing. Detroit style deep dish. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so he has a scale based on that. So like if it's a Detroit style, like he, it can never be above a certain number on his one to 10 scale. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling this was coming. Yeah, exactly. So, so your sours can never be above what, like a five? Oh gosh, no, 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 not that. I would say they could never maybe be above like an eight or an eight point five. Okay. Um, so that I was thinking maybe adopting that into the into the yeasty scale because I watched a bit one, more structure. I, I know watched we have one, listeners out there that want more structure. Yeah. <laughs> I watched reviews. one recently, and it's just like, and he was trying a Neapolitan style, and he was like, said in the thing, he's like, as everyone knows. The Neapolitan style can either be like a six one up to like an eight. And if it's like an eight, it's like the best Neapolitan style pizza he's ever had. Interesting. So that's kind of even that number makes sense. Like maybe a six to like an eight, eight being like the best sour I've ever had in my life. Yeah. I'm going seven three. Seven three? Okay. 
on this. That seems fair. Um, Especially given the fact that you would never really go above eight on a sour. Oh, gosh, no. I've never had a sour that I would. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, The big thing about this, even though I'm drinking it solely, partially because it's 10 a.m. Yes. (laughs) um, But I could... I could easily finish this. And again, my biggest gripe with sours usually is that they're just way too sour. The acidity, yeah. Like I just don't want to drink. I don't like sour things in general. See, I do. I don't like sour beer though. I don't like when it like strips your taste buds. Yeah. Which this isn't doing at all. No. It's balanced well. You can taste the strawberry and the blueberry. Um, Like we were saying with how locality does their malt. Like you can tell... It's a locality beer. Yes. You know what it's I mean? It's got that locality character. It's got it. that. Which is a good thing. Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> I wasn't even going to attempt to say that. <laughs> I'm Spanish and French now. Yes. I am American and can't speak any other language. <laughs> um, you speak only American, yeah, not English. Yeah, I speak English. American, not English. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a very good sour. Like, on their patio on a hot day, um, I would drink another one of these. A sour is never one I can drink multiples of. But yeah. like, I would order this, and I would drink it, and I could finish it. And that's... So you'd have to move on to something else. And that's a good omen for a sour. Yeah. So for me, I think the biggest things for me, just like... I know I, I say this a million times, but like as someone who produces beer for a living, I always look at like whether or not you can get all the characteristics you're supposed to get out of that beer style. Uh whether or not, like if it's a fruited beer, like if it says strawberry and blueberry, which this one does, do you get strawberry? Do you get blueberry? Uh, I would say I get the strawberry. Both of these are really subtle uh, berries in terms of like print, being pronounced in beer. It's really hard to get these two berries to come through without using yep. a metric fuck ton. And I can say that from experience because I made a blueberry sour while I worked at Five Roads and I used so much blueberries like a gratuitous amount she was thick yeah it came out like blueberries uh i wouldn't say i get a ton of blueberry in this one like i really don't get much at all like it's more for the color yeah like it's got that kind of like purple-ish hue that blueberries can give off because you know blueberries they give they give purple and beer which is weird but it is what it is uh i do get a decent bit of strawberry uh, still subtle. It's not like a fruit smoothie, which I really appreciate because those fruit smoothie beers, not going to name names, those things can fuck right off. <laughs> if you tell someone, hey, this beer needs to be kept cold or it's going to explode, you're doing your job wrong. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to name names, but it is. <laughs> but I'm wearing a t-shirt of that brewery. Yeah. Uh, we previously commended them for doing the right thing on another podcast, and now I'm saying otherwise. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so I get a lot of strawberry out of this, like not, not like smacking in the mouth kind of thing. It is super balanced. It's really easy drinking. The acidity, I, I'm saying this as someone who doesn't love sours, uh, or doesn't drink them regularly, but I could do, I could do with a little bit more sour in this. Cause I feel like Ooh. the acidity can amplify those fruit characteristics, right? Interesting. Uh, that being said, it does have that locality character, that little... What was the statement? I'm not Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I think it's really well crafted, really well balanced. I'm gonna give it a seven point six. Ooh, okay. Which is once again, like Adam said, a very good rating for a sour. For yep. me. 
pretty much the only sours that would ever get above an eight for me are like Cantillon, like the mixed fermentation. The Lambic. Lambics, Goozes, that kind of stuff. Mm. And even then, like, it's hit or miss for me. Yeah. So, like, Fruity Kettle Sours, they're almost never going to get above an eight. So, 7.6. So, is, the, essentially, this is a very good. The reasoning makes sense. Yeah. This is like a very good kettle sour, Fruity Kettle Sour to me. It's just not my style of beer. Mm. The Dave Portnoy Sour Scale. We shall be adopt, adopting that in our. We should. Um, also, I've enjoyed this more as it's warmed up. Yep. Kind of like a red wine in that sense. Yeah, I agree. Very nice beer. Very good. Um, do you want to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets and all of the things they've done, or do you want to talk about Hockey Canada? Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jackets first. Okay. Uh, so the Blue Jackets, they're hiring Mike Babcock. <laughs> Why? Who knows? Uh, <coughs> I, I laugh because it's like, I don't know what to do other than laugh. I'm going to take a moment to play devil's advocate here. I don't like this hire. I will say that off the bat. I think there were a lot of other candidates that the Blue Jackets could have went for that would have moved the needle in the right direction without inviting this level of controversy. Excuse me. Uh I just I don't quite understand Babcock as a hire, but once again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. I did go back and read uh, a couple articles on the whole situation that he had with Mitch Marner, because Mitch Marner is one of the biggest talking points of his relationship on how Babcock has been known to be abusive, mentally abusive and manipulative, which to he, young has, players. he has a history of doing that. Like Johan Franzen, he absolutely destroyed that guy mentally. Like to this day... Hates Babcock. Yeah. Um, so the Mitch Marner situation, as far as I can tell, and this was, was like direct quotes from Marner, is that he went through that really awkward thing where he had like him rank himself in terms of work ethic and other players and then re- released that to the team slash Tyler Bozak. Uh, and then after the fact, it sounds like it was a misunderstood situation. And Marner even came out and said that Babcock came up to him personally apologize for the whole situation, how it went down. That wasn't his intent. Marner accepted his apology. And then the last like two to three years he was there with Marner, they actually seem seemingly had a good and very trusting relationship, which I was not aware of. That being said, one situation that you apologize doesn't blow over all the other ones you've been involved in throughout the years. Correct. Uh, I, once again, I don't think this is the right hire in terms of uh, morals and ethics, I think it's going to result in the Blue Jackets winning sooner. But winning isn't everything. Uh, I mean, they got the best coach available. They did. And I also (laughs) believe that everyone deserves a second chance. I just don't think that your second chance, quote-unquote, should be coaching the opportunity of coaching in the NHL. Like, yeah, you can coach again. But, like, you don't deserve to coach in the NHL. Well, he has been coaching in Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he shouldn't be ran out of coaching forever, is what I'm saying. But, like, your second chance shouldn't be the privilege what about of Joel coaching in the NHL. Uh, no, he's... There's a different level. Like, there's certain people that don't deserve second chances, and he's he's in that category. Um, so, I like the hire in terms of winning. I don't like the hire overall. 
Because I think the biggest thing besides, like, take away the, the moralness, and if you just look at it from a hockey aspect, is the Blue Jackets have a ton of really good young players, which Babcock has notoriously been not great with. Um, so you look at, like, the Eurocheks and the... Um, What's the guy from Michigan? Kent Johnson. Kent Johnson. Cole Sillinger. Denton Maddox yeah. is coming through as well as a defenseman prospect that is you could make to be top four. There's a lot of talk about Johnny Goudreau and how this is the exact coach he doesn't like playing with. Or the exact style of coach that he I doesn't mean, like playing he for. He is similar to Sutter in a lot of ways. Just, in my opinion, a better coach. Yeah, but like... That's good. That's an interesting one too, because like Johnny Gaudreau is the Blue Jackets' like biggest free agent signing ever. Yes, even just like a number value. Bar none. Yeah. And so it's like he's someone that you've got to. He's your best player. <laughs> yeah, I I do have a like. So there's not been anything released about this, but I, I do have a hard time believing that they Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM for the Blue Jackets. Uh, went about this hiring without consulting his big name players or having them like talk to uh, to Kekline and or to Babcock, like the Lineys, the Boone Jenners, the Wierenskis, the Gaudreaux, like those four names off the top of my head. I'm sure there's other ones that were involved in the process as well, but I can't imagine that they would bring in a coach with this kind of history without first consulting them and getting their opinions on it. Hmm. Yeah, there's been no confirmed statements. But from what I can tell, it seems like players were like leadership players were involved in the process, and they all seemed on board. So, and no one's demanded a trade yet. So, yeah. Uh, once again, I think it, it's it's an interesting decision from the Blue Jackets because it very much takes them out of that like rebuilding stage and is pushing them into that win now stage. Hmm. Interesting. Because Babcock is not the kind of guy to rebuild. He's the kind of guy to win. Yeah. So, and the moves that they made since then have indicated that they're doing exactly that. Yeah, so the Proveroff trade, I think, was very interesting. Um, Philadelphia won that trade. Big time. Danny Briere is his first trade as general manager. They won that trade big time. Good God. Um, where did they? What did they get for him? They Columbus ended up the getting twenty second pick, the Kings' former first round pick, and a third round pick in twenty twenty eight four twenty five. Yeah, I believe it was conditional pick. And they and they got Cal Peterson, Sean Walker. Uh, Is this Philadelphia? Yeah, a prospect, and LA's twenty twenty four second round pick. And correct me if I'm wrong, but LA is retaining thirty percent. 30% of Provorov's contract. Yeah, so the Provorov cap hit for the Blue Jackets is 4.725. See, 4.725 for a player like Provorov that has the ability. Is good. If, if he's not expected to be the number one D, which he's not. He's not a, he's not a one D. Uh, he can play in your top pairing, but he's not your main guy. If he's not expected to pull those kind of minutes, I think he can be a very good defenseman. Uh I have a similar problem with Provorov as I did with the Babcock hiring. Uh, I don't really want to go too far into that one because it was a topic that's been beaten to death. Uh, 
needless to say, I'm not trying to get my morals and ethics to line up with sports organizations. Anyone who does that, please stop because you're always going to get let down uh, unless you're a piece of shit. And then maybe you'll <laughs> find them where you want them. Uh, I think that acquisition, while a first round and a third round, a conditional third round is a lot for a guy that hasn't really done well in the last year and a half. Seems like a lot. He's not going to be expected to be like the guy in the defensive core anymore. Like he's probably going to be a second pairing guy. And for 4.725, like that is a very reasonable yeah. contract. Probably with Eurocheck is what I've been seeing. Yeah. And the first line, your first pairing now is Wierenski and Severson. Yeah. And Severson, who uh, the Blue Jackets just acquired in a sign and trade with New Jersey for a third round, which I think is a fantastic pick up mm -hmm. a third round for a guy like that like yeah is he gonna get a point per game pace as a defenseman absolutely not is he gonna be like a 40 45 point guy and be sound defensively yes yep. so i think the blue jack through these two acquisitions uh and some of the guys coming through the uh prospect rankings uh or prospect pool rather uh i think their defense just became one of the most sound defenses in the Eastern Conference. It's a very good top four yeah. now. And then they have Bockvist being, they've got guys coming through that are probably not quite ready, but like Danton Matichuk. But Bockvist is a UFA, so. Yeah, if, if we re-sign him, that is. Yeah. By we, I mean Columbus, because I don't work for them, so. Oh, no? No. Um, I think the, the only interesting thing I wanted to bring up about Provorov and the point that was made was back in uh, 2015. Yeah. When... And that is the Connor McDavid Jack Eichel draft. Yes. Um, back then, Mac Babcock was the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs were picking fourth that draft. The GM at that point, Mark Hunter, was huge on Mitch Marner, and great really like, so. Yeah. Again, in hindsight, great pick, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, was huge on Mitch Marner, really wanted him. Mike Babcock was very adamant about picking Mitch Marner and wanted Ivan Provov at number four. Yeah, I mean, makes sense that he, the, one of the first moves they do, the, the hiring so for Babcock isn't official. Until the his, 30th, right? Uh, his contract with the Leafs expires on the 30th. The yeah. Leafs no longer have his rights. Uh, it's all but official. Like, yeah. it's... Babcock is the Blue Jackets' next head coach. Uh, so it's not surprising that they went after Provorov. I don't love sending first-round picks for defensemen that haven't really given the numbers to do that, but the fact that we still have a first-round pick and we're not leveraging our future to get someone like that is all right with me. And if, if he fits into the philosophy of Babcock and the Blue Jackets cannot give up like 3.9 goals again next year, That'd help. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, it can only help their forwards too, because now you have Just some have to good stay puck moving defensemen yeah. too. Like Wawrenski played like very little the season last year, so if he stays healthy, your check steps up and can be a top four. Provorov slots in because of his reduced minutes, performs better. Severson does what he does. Like that is a very very strong top four defensive core. Mm -hmm. And because the defensive core now is substantially better than it was the last two years, I think 
that lends to, I think this year is going to be a prove it or lose it kind of year for Elvis Merzlikens, who last year had a absolutely horrific year. Uh, that being said, I do give him a bit of an asterisk on that year because he was dealing with a lot of personal issues after the Mattis Kavlenyak's situation, which we've yeah. talked about on the podcast prior, and you can go look it up if you want to figure out what's going on with that. Uh, so he was like mentally not there. Seems like he's gotten better. He's now got a better defensive core in front of him. And I think this year is sucked. approve it kind of year for him. So if he doesn't do well this year, I think the Blue Jackets move on to the trade deadline or sign someone next offseason and move on from Elvis. Yep. Much like they did with Jonas Carpasalo. How much um, time is left on his contract? Uh, Elvis? Yeah. Off the top of my head, two years maybe? I don't know specifically. Oh, a lot more. Oh, he's signed to. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He's in the 5.4 yep. million till 2026. Yikes. I mean, that's not bad for what he projected to do, but last year was not a good indication of being worth $5.4 million. Needless to say, uh, the Blue Jackets' next priority should be finding a number one center, and I know that's easier said than done. Uh, I think players, like if they do re-sign him, Bachvist being uh, even some other prospects that haven't quite broken through yet and picks can be leveraged to find a number one center out there. I think Jack Roslevic will be involved in something. Jake Bean, Adam Bachvist, and some picks mm-hmm. along that line. If they can get a number one center, I think Columbus is a wild card team, or at least challenging for it. And you get Texier back this year, too. Yes. Which helps. Yeah. yeah, last year was just a bit of a weird year for the Blue Jackets in terms of people being away for, or being off for mental issues and or a lot of people getting injured. And that's not to discount yeah. the fact that we just weren't that good under Brad Larson. There you go. Um, I honestly don't have much to say about this yet, but Flames hired, hired their head coach. <clears throat> Ryan Huska. He was Daryl Sutter's assistant for the last five years. Flames just continue to hire from within, which I don't, maybe is not a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I already have a rapport with the team, right? So you don't yeah. Go through that whole development period. But I mean, like he's relatively unproven. We'll see what happens. I still think Mitch Love was the right decision, but I, again, like you, do not work for the team. Armchair GMs are here. Yeah. Um, I really want to touch on Hockey Canada because there's – as we segue into the Stanley Cup Finals, because there's just some interesting things happening here, and I don't think it's being talked about enough. Yeah, so for reference, he brought this up to me prior to the podcast, and I didn't know there was even any updates regarding any of the situation, so I'll let you lead this. Uh, so the, the major update is that um, Rick Westhead, who has been the main like reporter reporting on all of the yep. hockey Canada stuff. And we're referring to like the 2015, um, team that was sexual assault allegations, all the sexual assault allegations. Um, <clears throat> he reported that the investigation is complete and has been complete for a while. Yeah. And that all of the, Findings from the investigation are not going to be reported until the Stanley Cup Finals are done, 
which heavily implies that there Someone are in the finals is players. Yeah. Correct. Um, which is just fucked up. <laughs> yeah. That's it's almost in, like, oh, wait, wait. That's insanity to me. Hold off on these sexual assault allegations until we can make our money, and then we can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Like because then we can recover from that it. That very much makes me feel like I felt this way anyway, but this just solidified it. It makes me feel that the NHL knew about what was going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. And didn't do During anything. their Stanley Cup run and chose just not to deal with it. Yeah. Because Blackhawks in my God opinion. forbid you lose your Stanley Cup finals ratings. Yes. Because there's a team that's in the Stanley Cup finals that is raping young men. Yeah. Uh, I also <laughs> still wholeheartedly think the Chicago Blackhawks, and this is not me being salty about Nate not getting the first pick as a Blue Jackets fan. Mm. They shouldn't have had their first overall pick. They shouldn't have had their first round pick, period. They shouldn't they should have, have been, been in the lottery. Yeah. They should not have been in the first round, period. There's been other teams that have done other certain offenses that weren't anywhere near as bad as this and have gotten taken their uh, first round picks taken away, uh, New Jersey being one of them. Uh, once again, if you want to know why they got it taken away, go look it up yourself. But it's like the fact that they just essentially got away with it with a slap on the wrist. Yeah. It's disgusting. And it seems like exactly what's happening with 16. Hockey Canada is, uh, and, and not to go too far into this, but hockey culture is in a lot of ways really cool, really good. But realistically, there are some disgusting aspects to the sport. Yes. Um, I think the main player in question is Carter Verhege, who was on that 2015 team. And, I mean, the Panthers have done it before, but it doesn't look like they're going to be winning the Stanley Cup. No. But regardless, whether they did or didn't, you are essentially saying the investigation's done. We're not announcing the results because there's a chance that someone could be implicated in this sexual assault case that could also be hoisting a Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's going to be a bad look for the NHL. Well, it's a bad look now, regardless. Because yeah. now, I think there's a... I don't know if there's a player on the Golden Knights who's implicated in this. I thought it was like Chandler Stevenson or something, but I can't speak to that. But like, regardless, you have... You're admitting to sweeping something under the rug for the time being because... Yeah, like, just hold off on this so we can get our ratings still. Yeah. And, and then we'll talk about this. And it doesn't help that the ratings are good. Like, they, they came up with a report that this is the most watched Stanley Cup Finals in 15 years, in the States specifically. Not yeah, I mean, you have you have Vegas and another southern market. Which like, yeah, so it's just like, it's either. just a bad... It's just a bad med look, and it's like it's gonna. It's obviously the report is gonna come out. They're going to, like, who knows what's gonna happen with the players? But the NHL uh, has a chance to save a little bit of face if they deal They're with not this going to. properly. Yeah. But I don't have faith that they are I don't going have faith to. Faith in Gary Bettman to do the right thing here. No, Gary Bettman needs to resign. Yeah, like your time is done. And. But anyway, I thought that was just interesting and not getting talked about a lot because... No, because they're sweeping it out of the road. Yeah. Just like certain other, to tie things in here, certain other uh, people in our industry sweeping things into the rug about allegations that they have mm. and just doing cool things with other people to 
try to hide that. Yeah. But we won't talk about that anymore. Yeah. Shitty people are in all industries, folks. Do you want to say it? No, I don't. You can just say it. You said it ten times before. Nah, I'm good. Fuck. <laughs> I'm good. He's good. Um, what is your take so far on the Stanley Cup Finals? Uh, I think the biggest thing that I've I've thought of so far, and just from like my personal opinions, uh, we we have our own little banter back and forth about Jake Ottinger. And I think something I was thinking last night when I was watching what the Golden Knights were doing to Bobrovsky, who's been nothing but stellar in this playoff so far, is that I don't think that Ottinger had a bad series against them. I think Vegas is just doing all the right things. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They're just destroying everyone. Because, like, Bobrovsky in games one and two, I believe, because they won game three, correct? Florida, yeah. I had an eight twenty six save percentage from the slot, and like Vegas is all they're doing is they're getting it in the slot, quick shots, one timers, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense why Ottinger went from looking like a top tier goalie to looking very pedestrian in the conference finals because Vegas, like Florida's not coming back. No, like long rant short. I mean, here. they came up, they came back three one against Boston. But like, I, it's not gonna happen here. They're overmatched. Yeah. So um, my, my takeaway is Vegas is gonna win the Stanley Cup, and as a Blue Jackets fan, that makes me salty AF because <laughs> I wish the Blue Jackets got the same expansion draft rules as the Golden Knights. No kidding. So they wouldn't have had to take everyone's garbage, and they could have had like you know players that could skate or like you know score a goal. But you know. Um. It is what it is. Yeah, and suddenly it went from like Kachuk or Bobrovsky being a lock for the Conn Smythe to now, in my opinion, the lock of Jonathan Marcheseau. It's not going to be Bob Bob anymore. His stats in this series have been so bad that it can't be him. No. Unless they come back and like force game seven off of him standing on his head, I don't see how it could be him anymore. Even then. Jonathan Marshall has just been yeah. lights out. 13 goals, 13 games after scoring. Still not the leading goal scorer in the Stanley Cup playoffs, by the way. Tied, no. Yeah. Dreisaitl, still the leading goal scorer. <laughs> and Dreisaitl hasn't played for weeks. two rounds. <laughs> Unreal. Um, yeah, the Oilers are just nutty. Evan Bouchard is also the leading point getter for defensemen yeah. still. And Brandon, Brandon Montour has been... He's been very good. In my opinion, he's been like right there with Kachuk as their best player. Yep, I agree. Um, I don't have much to say. Jack Eichel has been unbelievable. Marcia So has been unbelievable. You didn't respond to my comment in the group chat, so I'm going to bring it here. Mm, which one? Does his point tally in the playoffs count towards our 100-point bet for the year? No. Why not? Because there's still points on the air. It was regular season. <laughs> we never said that. <laughs> yeah, it did. And I think his 22 points still doesn't put him at 100, does I'm it? I'm actually going to look that up right now. Yeah. Um, For those listening, tell us, we should, do. It, should his playoff tally count towards our 100-point bet? No. Well, yes, but... Because um, he has 22 currently. 
Yeah. In the playoffs, what did he finish? Twenty three. What did he finish with the in the regular season? Uh, sixty six and sixty seven. So that puts him at eighty nine on the year. So he needs eleven points. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it doesn't matter anyways. It doesn't matter. Still, anyways. vote for my favor. Fuck! If he gets eleven points, if he gets eleven points in the next counts as a win four games, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll accept <laughs> that. Um, we need to figure out who our next hundred point bet's going to be. Yeah. We've done Hooby, we've done Eichel. It'll come. Johnny Gaudreau. If you're betting that you think he's going to get a hundred, because I don't think he will. Yeah, I think he's going to get over hundred. Interesting. That'll be interesting. We'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. Um, that's really yeah. That's all I have to say. The the I think. I think Florida maybe has one more game in them, but like Vegas with a chance to win it at home in Vegas in that atmosphere. Um, Vegas will be in trouble if they come out flat in that game, but I don't think they will. I don't think they're nothing, going to. Nothing they tells me that they will. Um, no matter what, who the team is, I'm all for winning the Stanley Cup at home. I just think that's a cool thing to do. Yeah, win in front of your fans. Um, I also will say that either of these teams winning a Stanley Cup, I think, is good for the game. Yeah. It will be weird. I just, I don't They've love, been a team for six years. I don't love Vegas winning it because I'm salty as a Blue Jackets fan, but by personal bias aside, I still think it's good for the league. They've been a team for six years, and they've been good. Yeah. It's because the expansion draft that they got, like, was actually a reasonable one. I'm not saying it's like they got favoritism. It's that the expansion draft rules that they held for, like, Minnesota and Blue Jackets that year... We're fucking stupid. Yeah. They basically got everyone's garbage. It's like, oh, we might actually send this guy to the AHL, but you know what? You can have him. Yeah. Am I salty? A lot. Yeah. As um, in Ohio. I think that's pretty much all I wanted to touch up. We don't have to go in depth. Cole Caulfield signed a big extension with the Canadians. Eight, yeah. eight years, 62 mil. Um, great number for him. Yeah. Like a cap hit of like 7.8 million. Yeah. That's a stellar, stellar deal for Montreal. Good on you. Um, and there's two brand new GMs since we've recorded. The, or a GM and a president of hockey operations. Yeah. Dubas to the Pens. Kyle Dubas is a Pittsburgh Penguin. and Shortly after saying he would never go anywhere but Toronto. Correct. Like within a week. But I will say they did fire him. So like that kind of goes out the window. They did fire him. And like if you're offered that opportunity with yeah, that organization. Yeah, you take it. So. Um, actually what I did want to touch on that I thought was interesting about Kyle Dubas's press conference with Pittsburgh is he's like much to his, uh, I would say, uh, downside in Toronto is that Kyle Dubas loves his guys and wanted to stick with the core and wanted to stick with that core four in Toronto. Yeah. Clearly it didn't work. Um, he really wants to stick with. The core of Latang, Crosby, Malkin. Um, so the geriatric crew? Yeah, which, like, I just, like, obviously Crosby is untouchable, but, like, the first thing I'm doing is shopping around Malkin and Latang. I don't think Latang really carries a ton of trade value at this point. Outside no. of, like, the trade deadline when someone's trying to make a push. Malkin probably does, despite his contract hit. Well, I mentioned that to. Columbus, I think, would potentially be a good fit there. I don't think uh, potentially with the way Columbus is trying to structure themselves, I don't think they're trying to find a rental. But like, which you essentially can, is what Malkin is at this point. 
Because I don't think he's going to be playing for much longer. Well, he's got two years left. But like, yeah, I don't think it'd be. Good I do. I just that. thought that I was. I do an understand interesting, what you're saying. I just thought that was an interesting comment that he's like very high on the core three that are all over 35 yeah, years old. Of course, of course he is. They're and still good. They're just not good enough to win you a Stanley Cup at this point. No. Um, and in my opinion, Brad Living should be doing the same thing. He basically also said the same thing, or Brendan Shanahan mostly said the same thing, was like, we're not breaking up the core four. Yeah. And... Uh, True Living essentially said the same thing. So uh, I think Toronto is getting a good GM. I mean, no GM is perfect, but Brad True Living had some bad moves and had some great moves. It's a tough market to work in as well because you get a lot, of, a lot of focus and a lot of negative press there. It's kind of like working in New York and other sports or LA yeah. for that matter. But the first thing I'm doing if I'm it's Brad True Living is shopping Mitch Marner. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interest in him. There's been a lot of uh, rumblings, and I've, I've not seen anything from any reputable sources. It's just been fans talking about this, so like, take it for what it's worth. But a lot of people are saying the Blue Jackets should package the third overall pick to get Marner. But Marner doesn't solve the center issue in Columbus. Unless they're intending to fully transition Patrick Line to be a center, because they have tried him there periodically over the last like year and a half. But I don't think he's as effective at center as he is at wing. No, I think he could be. His Marner has a potential to be a very good center. Potential is another thing. Yeah. Columbus needs a, a, a true center, someone that actually plays a position. So I don't think that necessarily solves the issues there. Uh, and I also don't want to trade the third overall pick because I want Carlson in Columbus. Big Dane. Still a chance you get Fantilli. I would be perfectly happy with Fantilli or... Carlson. I prefer Carlson just because he addresses that issue eventually. I don't think he's who's, gonna... who's your ideal number one center. It's not a free agent. Like, give me a trade right now. Uh, there was one I sent in the group chat the other day, and I'm... what do you think of the Lindholm one? I don't that want Lindholm. People put out there, especially if it includes the third overall pick, because I saw someone include the third overall pick. I mean, he would be your number one center. Yeah, but for a third overall pick, he's not. Elite center. It would have to be like Lindholm, like uh, a goalie prospect like Wolf or something like that that could like slot in and like go 50-50 with Merzlikens for like Roslovic, Bockfister Bean, and like the third overall pick or something like that. Like three for two in a pick. Yeah. Which I don't think Calgary would accept, to be quite frank. They would trade Lindholm. They're... they're Dustin Wolf is untouchable. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think they would take that pick, but that, it would have to be something like that where it's going to address two two issues with one trade for the Blue Jackets where, like, they're going to get someone that could arguably be the starting goalie. And if Merzlikens doesn't prove it, then he could be the starting goalie and then a starting center. So who's your ideal number one center? Uh, I don't if you really, trade I don't really know if there is, like, an ideal number one if center. You're the, if you're the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets... Who are you calling about uh, to get in a trade? Connor McDavid. <laughs> uh, I mean, that would have to be your number three pick. And be like everyone and their brother. And Patrick Line and every single draft pick for the next four years. 
I don't know, Nathan McKinnon would be a name, obviously. Barkov, I think Barkov, just due to his uh, defensive abilities, would slot into a backup coach team and do quite well. Uh, still relatively young. Both of those players would cost you way more than Lindholm would cost you. Sebastian Ajo, I'd be willing to once again. I'd be willing to give up more for those players than Lindholm. Well, yeah, more. I don't, ra- I don't rate Lindholm that very. But high. your more would be like for someone like Nathan. It, 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 for it, someone it, like it, Nathan McKinnon would be your number three overall pick, your best prospect. So probably Kent Johnson, and. Like a third or something like that, and then probably like a Bean or Bockfist or a Roslevic or something like that. That would be like a six for one deal. That would be a. It probably wouldn't be that heavy. I'm sure there would be prospects and picks coming back the other way. If I'm Joe Sackick, I'm taking your third overall pick. You're at least your best prospect, if not more. Adolfo mentioned JT Miller. I'd rather not touch that guy with a 10 foot pole. Uh, He could slot in kind of nice. Elias Pedersen would be one that I would go after. I think he could be had at a reasonable price. Really? Well, I don't think a lot Vancouver. more reasonable than any of the other ones I've mentioned so far. I don't think Vancouver would give him up. I don't think so either, but a lot they would sell for a lot less than Nathan McKinnon would sell for. You wouldn't have to leverage the future for it. So it's it's tricky because like trying to get a number one center in the NHL, like you basically have to like sell the fucking mortgage to get it. Yep. So what about someone like Chandler Stevenson? Uh, depends on the return. Future Cup champion. Yeah, I don't put too much stock into that. Just because you win a cup doesn't mean you're a number one center. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just... It depends on the return. There are some centers on the market right now as well that, like, for rental pieces could po- possibly work out. Like, Patrick Kane is slotted to be a free agent. Sign him to a short deal. He's not a center. He's a winger. He's played center though in the past. So just, is just, as, just as much as Line A asked. So, so is Mitch Marner. Either way, it's going to be tough. Uh, you did but. mention Jonathan Taves in our in our chat, and I I just think Jonathan Taves is I think he's going to retire. I so well I, I was I said more he was available as a free agent, not that the Blue Jackets should go after him. Mm. So um, that's all I have. I think um, we can touch on this. This was again more. Something that Adolfo can speak on because it's his his team. But the last thing I wanted to touch on was Dalvin Cook, uh, officially released by the Minnesota Vikings. Being an NFL running back has got to be the hardest job to keep. In no pro, kidding, in pro sports, and I don't I don't understand how they can't find a trade partner for him. Four consecutive Pro Bowls, twenty seven years old, still good. Four consecutive thousand yard seasons, and you get released. Like, like, how does he? It's got to be the hardest job to keep in pro sports. How do they not find a trade? I mean, I'm sure they probably everyone probably knew they were up against it where he had, he had to get released at a certain point to have a smaller cap hit, and they probably just like they knew that he was going to get released. It's one of those tight, like, tight even situations. If you get, even if you get a third or fourth round pick for nice. him, you get yeah. something. I'm sure their asking price is too high, especially in that situation. It, it just baffles me that he got released. Again, you couldn't find a trade partner for him. But anyway. All the time in the NFL, man. Good running backs get released all the time. Where is Dalvin Cook's... Well, two parts before we end. Where's his best landing spot, and where will he land? Uh, Best is a very biased 
turn for me because I think if Austin Eckler doesn't want to re-sign and wants to get traded, you trade Austin Eckler, you get a big return on him, and then you sign Dalvin Cook. I think that would be a fantastic move for the Chargers. And in that him. order, because if you sign Dalvin first, Austin Eckler's trade value goes, goes down. down the toilet. Yeah, because people know you don't necessarily need it. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be like a, a perfect world if, if Eckler doesn't want to stay, which it doesn't seem like he is like fully sold on. Which baffles me. He just fits in there so well. Yeah. I, I think it's just they don't want to give him the money he wants. So and, running backs are undervalued. And Cook, I think, has good enough hands that I think he could slot in there as well. Uh, he obviously doesn't have as good hands as Eckler, but it's good enough that he fits in that system well enough. Yep. Um, I don't know where his best landing spot would be, to be honest. It's kind of hard to say at this point. I think somewhere that he could go, theoretically, I don't think he's going to end up here. That would be super exciting. Would be Kansas City. That's what I was going to say. Having Dalvin Cook alongside Patrick Mahomes, and then they have Isaiah Pacheco still, like that would be a very, very lethal backfield. Like Super Bowl winners again. I could... I also think, like, not to play off, like, the Super Bowl, but Philadelphia would be an interesting spot for him to go. Yeah, I was thinking Kansas City, Cincinnati could Cincinnati be an interesting spot for him. Um, also, the Rams need some help in that backfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, which I think pretty bad back there for a while. Yeah, so that's where I think he would fit best. Where I think he's going to go, I'm trying not to like listen to all the stuff from the outside that like has been where he's been tied to. Yeah, all the rumors. But I have a feeling he'll end up in Miami. That would be entirely unsurprising. Yeah, and hopefully DeAndre Hopkins is a New England Patriot. Even though I don't even think that's a good spot. I mean, I want him because they they need a number one receiver, but like. I don't think he's going to end up there. Depends what DeAndre Hopkins wants. Does he? If he wants to win a championship, then New England's not the place for you to be. But if yeah. he doesn't care so much about that and just wants the ball, yep. you automatically become... He's, I mean, he's a number he's one a receiver number, on number a one lot target. of teams, yeah. but especially on New England. Clear number one there. Anyway, that's about it. My computer's about to die. Yep. We went over all of the things. Lots of sports news. I thought we were going to go two hours, and we we're like one one thirty eight right now. Yeah. It's not bad for sixteen sports items and a couple beer items. That's it. That's good for us. It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. All right. It was a good sour. Go to locality. Yeah, check them out. Check Make them out. Beer. Good people. Andrew, Mel, and Karen. Yes. Best people. Um. All praise to the dog pound. Yeah. Uh, by the time we next record, too, I was going to say uh, there's a good chance, actually pretty much a guarantee, we'll have a new NBA and new NHL champion. It will be almost guaranteed. Yeah. So. Even if they go to seven. Yeah. Who knows? But So we'll have that to talk about, and then uh, NFL will start previewing. Yep. Here we go. Sports, maybe. Sports are fun. Beer is good. We are two of three. Wolf, wolf. <laughs>